Oh, by the way, guys, we have live dragons. So Game of Thrones, which started with eggs and then baby dragons, and took seasons and seasons and seasons to get the full dragons with Amelia Clark's Khaleesi, Daenerys Targaryen, and they do some cool stuff. This already, we have multiple adult dragons, a baby dragon, and a much deeper story about the role of dragons and how ancient they are, and they don't take sides, but they are on the side of life. In some case, they are on the side of death. All of that's addressed, but it all serves a character purpose. It's not this highfalutin, you know, philosophical thing. It's going to be for the whole thing. It's Geralt and Siri. I'm Siri. I'm going to be a witcher with Geralt, the best witcher of all the witchers. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks, here we go. The Witcher, Season 1, Episode 6, Rare Species. This comes from the first story in The Sword of Destiny, entitled The Bounds of Reason. It does involve a bunch of crazy psychopathic barbarians and, and dwarves and you know, sort of Amazonian warriors and Dandelion being beautiful, brilliant, annoying, you know, uh, irascible, um, and just there. Um, and uh, as I've been talking about, the, the podcasts haven't really strung together. They, you know, they do the right thing in this series and taking the loosely connected short stories, uh, which you don't realize when you're reading until the end of Sword of Destiny how connected they are, and it's all leading towards the Siri prophecy with Geralt there, and of course Yennefer, Triss, Dandelion, and other main characters, good and bad, around them, and this. Because they do the two different timelines with the present with Siri, and then all this sort of past timeline, um, as the timelines are starting to converge here in the final two episodes, and I love the choice to do this as second to as the it's not the second to, it's the third to last episode, but it's the second to last before sort of the double episode ending. Uh, the old guy, of course, Borsh, is uh, the golden dragon himself. Um, one of his warriors is asked in the book early on, <laughs> "There's Geralt killing more monsters." Uh, was a basilisk, I think. Um, and one of the warriors, said, I think Dandelion asks, "Why? Why do you hang out with this old guy?" And they're like, "He's the most beautiful. He's the most beautiful, or something." You know, they, they give hints throughout that he's the dragon. You have no way of knowing until you read it. Um, there are some major details having to do with the doors, having to do with how quickly uh, Yennefer turns here relative to the book, uh, how sweet the relationship is between Yennefer and Geralt in this episode, which is very much not the case in the book. Um, the sort of, you know, booting out of his life due to anger and irrationality, having to do Yennefer boots Dandelion uh, Yaskier out of his life. Um, 
this was going to be the last, you know, you could just tell, especially if you read the books, this was going to be the last Yaskier episode this season. They didn't want to overdo him because he's so important. He really matures and becomes a major part of their operation diplomatically and otherwise. And just, you know, being real as things go down. I'm now halfway, mostly through time of contempt. So I'm now through blood of elves and most of the time of contempt. So that's two of the five series saga books. I am convinced more than ever. They are going to combine blood of elves and all of, I think, Time of Contempt in next season into one season. I'm not going to go into it now, but things don't really... The shit does in the five-book series uh, pentology, series saga, the first book, Blood of Elves, is, you know, Triss being the mother, Geralt trying to be the dad, and then Yennefer trying to be a mother, and all of them trying to be surrogate parents, and Siri being confused and enthusiastic and scared and excited and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, it, it's a beautiful telling of story with amazing adventure in the middle with uh, Yarpin, uh, the dwar- the <laughs> kind of psychotic dwarf uh, that is in this story. He comes back and is a major good guy with them in a caravan uh, um, in the, sort of the climactic fighting scene in Blood of Elves, but it's not enough to get you action-wise through a whole season and they can easily do Triss and the caravan in a few episodes and then Yennefer and by episode five or s- five they're in time of contempt because by the middle of time of contempt is when a lot of people who we think are trustworthy especially male and female sorcerers or at least not evil turn out to be totally evil and working for themselves and or Amir von Emrys the emperor of Nilfgaard aka Dooney the hedgehog aka Ciri's father this is totally predictable that he would hit on these women because he's never been with women like this before. He has absolutely no shot, and that's exactly why Dandelion would do it. Um, side to, about Dandelion's sexuality, what's funny is it, it, he brags about everything. He'll straight up lie and tell stories. He's a bard, and he explains everything away that way. But the, the way it's sold in um, the, the stories... I, let's put it this way. I never think he slept with nearly as many or as many powerful or as many beautiful women as he claims to, but he does seem like a, like a genuine Lothario. I mean, women are attracted to him. They go out of the way to, to, to say that. You know, he's constantly getting thrown out by women who... Uh, D- 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 discover his fiendish uh, ways, uh, you know, and shallow self. Uh, the, th- the typical, like, throwing all of his stuff out the window, the couch, <laughs> throwing plates at him. All that good stuff you don't have time for here. But uh, in this series, because of how kind of young and sweet and naive uh, Yaskier is being played, in order to make him a lot more likable and to grow on us and not just come full bore, you know, head of steam, you know, arrogant, pretentious, troubadour asshole that in the book, the same way when we meet Yennefer in the books in The Last Wish, we didn't have the whole backstory, seeing how complicated and even sweet and loving she could be before she got super power hungry and you know extremely vain and you know borderline evil and blah 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 and and so you know through these backstories through these more subtle performances and retellings of these characters you know even when dandelion's bordering on you know annoyingness or even when you know yennefer is often question making questionable decisions to say the least oh my god look at anya chalocha in the furs mm-mm-mm Monkey Carol, Carol just said very definitively he's not going on the mission. Now they're going on the mission, and Dandelion's like, "God damn it!" The hunt begins. It's all being manipulated by the golden dragon here, known as Borsh. 
Uh, look at the looks between these two. This is great. I love this stuff. She's so good, man. They have amazing chemistry. So, anyways, the point being, I don't know if I'm misreading it, but because because Yaskier here looks and acts younger and more naive than I imagine him in the book, I wonder if he's had a lot of sexual experiences whatsoever, because when he does try and actually interact with women in the show, he seems completely inept, whereas in the books, it seems like that's the one thing he might be good at, even if he is, you know, lying and making up and exaggerating it and so forth. Okay. So, you know, dwarves are, 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 are known to have tempers and be loose cannons, you know, we've all seen Gimli and Lord of the Rings and blah, 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 you know, not, and, and so forth. This, this guy's particularly, Yarp and Ziglin, these guys are particularly psychotic, but they needed, to, and this is the first major change. And okay, back up. So since this is the first story, sort of destiny. When you're reading it again, even after the crazy Dooney uh, Hedgehog wedding scene and the Last Wish and meeting Denley, blah blah, we still haven't met Syria. We don't meet Syria until later in Sword of Destiny. Even though her prophecy has been foretold in the Last Wish during the um, Question of Price, you know, a crazy wedding episodes with Queen Calanthe, and so this is like a classic standalone short story um, and they said they want to keep doing a couple of these per season which is great because that's part of the Witcher universe are these little side adventures and that fills out the universe it doesn't always have to be plop 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 plot so they had to build towards Yennefer and Dandelion hating each other and that part of being what breaks all three of them up and that's indeed the case in terms of him he doesn't necessarily hate Yennefer. He just thinks he's... Well, he thinks she's like a pretty evil witch and Geralt should stay away. And she, of course, like most people, finds him grating and annoying, but to an extreme degree, but is also jealous of his close relationship with a Geralt, you know, jealous of his time. <laughs> That's Yennefer just acting like a, like a little girl trying to make him jealous. See that? See Roach? <laughs> Got a confined Roach. So, the, if you look at the series, there's only two episodes that could even be partially called standalone, the way they structure these eight episodes. Obviously, the first is the Striga, episode three, where we get the Yennefer crazy transformation in Geralt with Triss Marigold, we meet Triss, but that's important going forward, and obviously Yennefer's transformation is important for her character, so it's always moving forward, but, you know, it is sort of a murder, monster murder mystery of the week in episode three with the Striga, which is my least favorite episode, but this is one of my favorite, and it was very important before the final two episodes, which, you know, we knew ahead of time, if there was going to be anything that was a little bit derivative in the first season it was that they would need to have a big battle teased in the beginning but then definitely have a huge battle in the final couple episodes to establish how epic it is going to be going forward now i'm not sure people realize that a lot of the epicness going forward is between extremely powerful wizards uh sorceresses enchantresses witchers siri uh, and other manip- you know, uh, kings and, and other manipulators of power, changelings like the, the changeling version of Mausik here. Being all creepy, creeping up on Siri. Stay away from the Lion Cup of Central, you bastard! She yet. Freya Ellen's playing it great. She's already has her suspicions. Elf Boy hasn't said anything yet, but he's yeah, he's eyeing it. He knows something off. He knows something is off. Um, and so. This was the perfect story to, to do because seven and eight had to be the epic conclusion. And if you're going to do monster story of the week, 
Oh, by the way, guys, we have live dragons. So Game of Thrones, which started with eggs and then baby dragons, and took seasons and seasons and seasons to get the full dragons with Amelia Clark's Khaleesi, <laughs> Daenerys Targaryen, and they do some cool stuff. This already, we have multiple adult dragons, a baby dragon, and a much deeper story about the role of dragons and how ancient they are, and they don't take sides, but they are on the side of life. In some case, they are on the side of death. All of that's addressed, but it all serves a character purpose. It's not this highfalutin, you know, philosophical thing. And um, that is all preserved. So while while this this uh, bizarre and already volatile party with the marauders or whatever they're called and then the fucking dwarves, a lot of things happen differently. The main thing that happens differently is everybody but Dandelion and Geralt end up wanting to kill the dragon. Now, we know Yennefer is going in here with the intention of killing the dragon or doing what she has to do to extract whatever she thinks is going to cure her infertility. Spoiler at the end, uh, you know, the very end of this, when Borsh goes back to being human from the gold dragon, he thanks Yennefer and Geralt, and he says, I'm going to do both of you a favor. And he tells Yennefer she'll never, she'll never be fertile again, no matter what she does, so just give up. But he also says that the two of them will never truly be able to be together. And that's one of those Matrix-slash-Dune anti-prophecy prophecies where... It has to be intentional with how wise and how old the dragons are, and you could just see it in Borsh the man, even if he wasn't the dragon, then you had the dragon, he's thousands of years old or whatever, and can read minds, he can talk telepathically, um, and that's one of those, um, you know, I, the, the, I always compare it to, uh, you know, Kenobi and Yoda, how they deal with Luke in Empire Strikes Back. You know, Yoda specifically, you know, tells Luke not to go to Cloud City. Um, but if he doesn't go to Cloud City, then the, the, they never win the war. You know, the Vader turn doesn't begin, and he has to get save those friends because you know they're the frontline generals, Leia and Han, and blah blah. blah. You know, it's all meant to be. To the point where then Luke trains himself as a Jedi, and then in the middle of Return of Jedi, he goes back to Dagobah, and Yoda says, oh, actually, remember I said you weren't close to being trained? Yeah, you've already trained yourself, and now all you have to do is kill Vader. And that's the second time. By Yoda telling Luke that he has to kill Vader is already hardening Luke's resolve that he's not going to kill Vader, and Vader will turn. This is great. This is... This is so Witcher. This is completely from The Witcher. The Witcher is going to be not threatened, say, this is not a threatening monster. And w- even though he's ugly as hell, he's not showing any direct aggression, curiosity. But nope, the king or the prince here, or whoever, is just slices this monster up. Watch Geralt's face. He can't do anything. Geralt's not in charge. This guy's royalty. Even Yennefer is g- grossed out by this. Oh, man, they got a real carcass there. Look at the face of Borsh, the, the, the golden dragon. And, I mean, and this is, this is the humans are monsters, so they're moving things forward thematically. So, yeah, so if you're going to have one semi-standalone story, as we still have Siri tramping through uh, Brokolon, and I think they finally figure out that Mausak is not Mausak in this one, and, you know, the Dryad story starts getting pushed forward a little bit as she tries to escape from, from everything that's going on and figure out, you know, the, the, the chaos that is her life around her. Um, oh, man. Um... Well, oh man, they're eating it. Ugh. Knights never waste a kill.
So, right. So, so here's basically what happened. So everyone here, other than Geralt, and uh, so so in a little bit, the old man Borsh, who's a golden dragon, is going to fall off the side of the cliff. But he lives, obviously. It's all part of the test of Geralt and everyone else. At that point, they go after the dragons, and Yennefer goes way, way, way longer before being convinced. Um, and actually, there's one thing they take out um, that, uh, that has to do with the baby dragon cuddling up to Yennefer. I'll bring up when we get closer. That would have been cool. Um, but the, the staging just wasn't right for it. And the, and the big final battle and the tone they're trying to set and so forth. But this is really the episode about the humans being the monsters. There's nothing more majestic than dragons. They're so old and they just want to live on their own. They're not harming anyone. And this is all started because someone poisoned the mother dragon in order to get to the other dragons and it's all about money and power and everything and humans are the monsters and dwarves can be the monsters now the dwarves go whole hog in the book against the dragons with this terrible knight and all the marauders and so forth will you be joining me <laughs> he's having stomach problems from the for the poor innocent monster that he killed um now, in this, you're going to see Yennefer is going to freeze the dwarves to protect them from being involved. Um, and it's also sold because the dwarves, more than they want the dragon, they hate these fucking barbaric humans for everything that they get put through by humans in general, but especially humans like this, these fucking barbarians. Um, and, but the bigger thing is that, that you're, you know, the, the writers of the show know now in a way that maybe Sapkowski didn't know when he wrote Sword of Destiny that in the uh, next book, Blood of Elves, which is going to be the first half of season two of this series, Yerpin and his dwarves are very noble and are and are set up by the humans in, in a test that they were set up to lose to see if they're traitors because they're dwarves and a bunch of them are murdered, but they defend Ciri and they defend Geralt and they interest and they get them out of there. And so... That's why they, there was that really friendly greeting, greet, uh, friendly, pr- friendly, immediate friendly greeting between a dwarf, uh, Yarpen and, and Geralt earlier on when they hadn't met before. But you know, Geralt's very familiar with dwarves, and the dwarves and elves know the witchers because, like Geralt says to the elves who kidnap them in the second episode, he's like, "You can kill me, you can hate me, but don't confuse me for being a human." I may not be you, but I'm definitely not a human. And so he innately, as we see, connects with monsters. He connects with creatures. He connects with spirits of mag- uh, 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 creatures of magic, spirits. Um, it's ultimately one of the reasons he connects with Siri. But he can definitely connects with dwarves and elves. And so they couldn't make the dwarves straight up killers of dragons in this one because it, it, they just don't have enough time for the subtlety. In the books, there's enough time that goes by and the characters can be complex enough and have enough time to explain themselves. You know, the dwarves basically get gold... Um, uh, you know, like in The Hobbit, like there's actually like what they call gold sickness, and that's why Thorin Oakenshield goes nutso. You know, when it should be the triumph of of the of the dwarves at, at the end of The Hobbit. You know, reclaiming their old home from Smaug, he gets gold sickness or treasure sickness or whatever it's called. And so it's basically in the book, it, it's it's treasure sickness. They go after the dragons, and they ended up they end up getting scared shitless by the dragons and just running away. And then they show up in Blood of Elves and end up being huge friends. And that's an important character thing for for Yarpin and the dwarves, which is not all the dwarves are just nice, you know, grumpy but lovable nice 
guys who put up with the humans even though they get slaughtered like they're very very angry and they also can be barbaric and that's important for complicating things but they're able to show that by just this sort of aggression here but by redirecting the aggression of the dwarves towards the horrible humans and then yennefer saving them from themselves when it comes to the dragon battle um it's easier to what was that shot there is that just Geralt being hung up on Yennefer, te- teasing, cock-teasing him? Um, and so I, uh, that was one of those decisions that uh, I didn't know until I went back to the story, because it made total sense, because I remembered uh, Yarpin was a, a big buddy of theirs in, in the coming uh, tales, um, and I went back, and I'm like, okay, I totally can see why the show, the director's writers, oh, here comes the exposure of Malsek here. Um, it, it makes total sense, because we have to have Yarpin on our side. It's that, it's probably going to be episode four or five of season two, if I had to guess the big confrontation where the dwarves are fighting with Geralt and Siri and, and Triss and whoever's there against all the horrible humans around them who are trying to set them up and then fight each other. And it's a big mess. Speaking of a big mess, while the while episode four uh, with, with Queen Calanthe and the wedding and, and Dooney in episode five with the last wish and the genie and, and Yennefer and so forth is like almost literally take ripped from the pages of the books. And they do take some liberties. Again, ignore this whole weird dryad side story with Siri. Um, in the meantime, oh, here we go. It is a beautiful cloak. Where did he come up with that? He just, it's like Odo in, in, in Deep Space Nine. He can just like create material out of other material. The elf knows what's going on. Um, but but the 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 general feeling of of adventure, but also always on the knife's edge. Uh, of of chaos and murder and violence and who's on whose side um this huge crew of motley crew is it, it, you know um is like i say spiritually feeling wise straight from the book and so i remember watching this and the dragon story this story um uh the dragon story as i call it uh was one i hadn't revisited in a while uh-oh someone slit the prince's throat Fuck. <laughs> and, you know, just a feeling of you don't know who's going to turn on who when. And, and, and that's the part that they captured. They don't try and do shrinking stuff here. They get little people. But they also get... Like, the guy who plays Yarpin is just a very short guy, I think. And he's hunched over. He's like a guy. He's like a five foot dude, but he's hunched over. And you know, some dwarves can can get pretty tall in, in various forms of fantasy. And he's he and look, he's downhill from uh, from Borsh there, the old man who's the green dragon. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I keep saying Borsh. Yeah, Borsh. And, and and while Yennefer, you know, driving Geralt crazy and vice versa, but specifically, uh, 
you know, Yennefer's always on the edge of going crazy or going crazy or recovering from going crazy. Geralt rarely goes crazy except with Yennefer. And, you know, she had to be the one to divide up, uh, you know, had to break up at least temporarily Yaskier and, and, and Geralt because he would just lose his mind and his patience and stop thinking rationally. And again, I don't want to ruin things, but between now and, ne- you know, and the events of next season, Yennefer and Geralt are both growing, going to grow a humongous amount um, and even admit to their failures and, and failings and shortcomings and even start apologizing to people, which they never do. You know, Geralt has this thing about fuck destiny. I'm basically, you know, a fatalist, as he says. You know, I'm not going to kill dragons out of principle, um, but not because I'm like some righteous warrior or whatever. And Siri, as we'll see early next season, um, with with the attack on the dwarves, reams out Geralt at one point for his new stance on neutrality. And Siri says, you know, what those of us who believe in fighting for the good. I'll believe, which is neutrality is just a form of letting evil win. At some point, you have to make a stand, you know, like things like the Holocaust, you know, mass genocide happen because people don't stand up and people just stood up. Who knows what could happen? And and everyone, nope, just marches along like robots and lets all the, you know, the the, the horribleness happen. Um, Here's the sterility talk. Um, And... uh, and this is a big part of the book. Um, and on repeat, do not patronize me. On repeat experiences of both of of the books and now the show, it, you know, it, it's it's more than obvious that the, the two of them having trouble dealing with their relationship, but specifically with with their infertility and and not having a legacy as old as they are. Um, being, you know, children in some ways, look, I mean, just the way they're talking and acting, their maturity level so low as long as they've been around. So they have to learn how to be good parents. And that's the serious thing. And, and, you know, Geralt, you know, as we've all been hashtagging dad mode in the final shot of the season when they hug. Um, uh, you know, it goes into full dad mode from then until the end of the series, essentially. Like, he's constantly almost dead. He's, he might even die a couple times, come back to life. I don't know. Geralt goes through some shit. Um, but he's always, always, always dad mode for Siri, starting by the end of the season. Yennefer, you think it's going to take a while, but by time of contempt, when the shit hits the fan, Yennefer realizes how much she loves Siri. And, you know, we start seeing things like Geralt saying, I love you to Yennefer, which they never say. And, and Yennefer openly calling Siri her daughter and being like, I- I'm going to try and be right behind you. You need to go. I'm going to fight to save you because you're my daughter. And I hope to see you again, but you're my child. And, you know, this is the realization I wish more people would have is that there's a lot of ways to have children. It can be your nieces, nephews, you know, little cousins, um, your best friend's kids who you spend time with and you mentor, um, or you adopt kids. You know, it doesn't have to be from your womb. It's, it's, it's such a primal, irrational. I mean, it's all about evolutionary biology in terms of procreating our seed. Um, but for super smart intellectual people who have been around and supposed to have wisdom and knowledge like Jennifer and Geralt, they're pretty hung up on the basic, uh, human biological instincts. Here it is.
this is sold totally through performance. He does this changeling does an absolutely horrible job of his job. He's barely able to go a few episodes without giving it away. And uh, Kahir or whoever who's who's tentatively behind this serving the emperor and put all this in motion realizes how much of a mistake it is and I think they try and kill him here it does not die oh yes Siri oh yeah she's gonna be the witcher the best witcher of all the witches actually Siri like Ray has a not killing bad guys problem that's very frustrating in the books and you up oh, here it is one of the main reasons you want Geralt around is to protect Siri, but the other one is Siri will, you know, with barely lifting a finger, can take down dozens of people, but she refuses to murder, kill them, especially the big bad guys. It's just, you just need Geralt to come in and just slice off heads. Oh, she orders to kill him. Yeah, this is very different than the Siri we come to know. And I, th- they're, I think they're going to end up having Siri kill more people than in the book because it's just unsatisfying, um, and with the hatred and lack of control that she feels and experiences, there are certain points of the book where, like, like Bonnard, like one of the big bad guys, they're on ice. She's skating around, just murdering everybody, and then she cuts down Bonnard, but then she lets him maybe bleed to death but he survives um and so forth i'm wondering if that move there where siri orders the kid to kill him and then tries to kill him herself um is showing uh it's possible they're just showing dark side of young siri who who, you know who's completely clueless as what's going on in the external world and in her own internal world um uh, but it might also be hinting towards a Siri that's a little bit more like Ahsoka Tano than Rey. Rey never wants to kill anybody. The fate of the universe, Ahsoka Tano, like Obi-Wan and Anakin, when he's good in the Clone Wars, will just cut down bad guys left and right to save literally millions and billions of people in the galaxy. It's greater good. I mean, it's not even uh, It's not even like a, a you know mustache twirling ends justify the means or even ambiguous ends justify the means. It's like, I could kill a couple bad guys and save billions of people. They have they have crazy adventure hijinks like this in, in the book. I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly how it plays out. I do know Borsh, uh, the human slash golden dragon. Uh, this he disappears, I believe, in the book, sort of mysteriously. Oh, they're already looking at each other, planning their disappearance. Right. So the 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 the, the Wakandan women and Borsh, you know, quote unquote, die here to separate themselves from this crew because they want to see where this is all leading. So the question is, Borsh already trusts Geralt to do the right thing, but he's leading Yennefer and a whole bunch of sketchy uh, dwarves and, and men with bad intentions towards the lair to see what they have wrought. I think it's because, you know, Mama Dragon's going to be dead and Baby Dragon, we don't know. Again, in the book, Baby Dragon cuddles up to Yennefer, and that's what turns her heart. And that's actually a missed opportunity, because that's also a baby mama thing, where her maternal instinct could kick in, and she can realize that she can be a mama. It doesn't have to be, you know, from her own womb. And, of course, it leads to, you know, Siri becoming as much or more of a daughter to her than anyone could be a daughter or son to anyone. It's the family that we choose that ultimately means the most. And if we're lucky enough to have family... Here we go. And if we're lucky enough to... um, So I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is awesome. 
cinematography and super dramatic great music shot great do the women follow right but you know even at this point i remember from the book i'm like okay these guys are coming back so you're like so why is borscht leading them all there i think it's to prove a point and to set an example and in the book at least at the end Geralt's asking like why the charade you know like why not just be powerful dragons and murder anyone who tries to come near you or you know take down the whole town which is sort you know so what happens is that you know the pretext for all this is that the dragon you know leveled the town or something with with her flame powers but they poisoned the dragon and that's why she did it because she's poisoned and trying to save the baby look at this beautiful scene and this is the last this is the first and last true bonding moment of these guys. Um, and, and to close the thought that it, it's not, you know, I, I'm sure you guys realize having watched the series, even though it, in the book this is unnecessary because they're constantly separating and coming back together, you know, in eight, when you only have eight episodes a season every 14 months, you have to uh, force a few um happy dramatic coincidences and i don't mean happy in terms of their good but happy in terms of their convenience and you know he's really trying to comfort Geralt. um but yennefer would be the one to, to even though he pretends to hate dandelion throughout from the being don't touch roach punch him in the balls you're not my friend blah 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 it's obviously their buddies but the thing that where he would really yell and tell and tell dandelion to get the fuck out of his life would be an irrational tamper tantrum uh brought on by yennefer and this is it. This is this is the Avengers. I talk about the the calm before the storm. You know, he's gonna have some romance with Yennefer coming up. They're having a bonding moment here. It seems like maybe they could work together, start being a team, and they do work as a team long enough to defend the dragons, get rid of the bad guys, learn a lesson, <laughs> only to all argue and then go their own ways or whatever. Um, but that's important to set up where the rest of the season's going. And again, I can't stress enough how much I love and I think they're going to start the next season as the next book, Blood of Elves, starts with that amazing extended scene in the Glade where Dandelion singing the song of all the events of this season, specifically about Yennefer and, 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 and Geralt's you know, crazy legendary love story, but also a Ciri, the child surprise, who he had not met at that point, but he's heard about. And that, of course, leads to Dandelion almost getting murdered by one of the evil wizards and Yennefer saves him. Um, and, and realizes that you can't just be going around singing songs about Siri because everyone in the world with evil intentions wants her. And then the Wild Hunt, which is actually teased, guys. I thought the Wild Hunt wasn't teased till later in the series saga and then fully realized in The Witcher 3. Uh, indeed, it's not fully realized in The Witcher 3 in terms of all-out battle between humans from the, and elves and so forth from this dimension and elves from the other dimension. The, the wild hunt but they do uh, the, the wild hunt's already after siri in, in spirit and maybe in, in physical form already in, in uh in time of contempt um this doesn't happen right so okay so uh, I started recording this and I started again. So in the book, there's four years between the end of The Last Wish and this. And they spent a bunch of time together, but then they left on very bad terms. And Geralt goes into the caves and becomes like, you know, even more of you know, like a lost loner mountain man type or whatever that we see at the beginning of this, throw the basilisk head out. Um, and it takes, it takes until... 
let's put it this way. If you're doing an exactly great fantasy romance music, I guess it's cheesy, but this is exactly the kind of string and woodwind stuff you've got to do for a tender romance. It's so epic like these two. Um, and even though it's not till, if you were doing it exactly like the books, it wouldn't be till next season that they would start experiencing these things again. But you had to, especially right before the breakup, uh, you had to show that they can have truly loving moments together. And it's not just, uh, I, you know, I always talk about with, with, uh, uh, Kara Therese, a Starbuck, Katie Sackhoff's, uh, you know, all-time great character on Battlestar, you know, with her and her men, it's fuck or fight, you know, they're either hardcore fucking or she's fighting with them, uh, and she's just as childish and immature as Yennefer. I guess she has more of an excuse to because she has PTSD and she's much younger. Uh, does does uh, does Starbuck? Uh, but you know, so far with them, it's been fuck or fight, and having this moment and uh, and and he keeps looking over at different points, like during the night or the scene, to make sure she hasn't left, and she hasn't. And so, again, if you haven't experienced this yet, you're going, "Oh, is this happening? Is like, is it possible these two crazy people who like never should have come together and should never work and are still dealing with so many fucking issues as old as, as ancient as they are? Um, is yeah, actually going to happen?" and it was important to sell that this could still happen in the future because this happens and then Yennefer is going to backstab and go after the dragons, but then she's going to realize that it's wrong. And the book, again, it takes her much longer to realize that it's wrong, but in the end it, 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 it is of uh, the same, um, it, it, it's within the same spirit. It's, it's of a piece uh, uh, that she eventually turns and, and starts fighting, you know, with the good guys, quote unquote, Geralt and, and, uh, and the, you know, the, the entourage of, of Borsh, the golden dragon and so forth. Um, and the baby dragon that's there in the book, uh, and they sort of have here, I'll have to look closely with the egg and the dying mom, but it was so subtle because even with, you know, added love scenes here that don't take place at the beginning of sort of destiny, um, uh, in, um, in the bounds of reason, the first chapter, in which this is the story uh, that we're watching here, um, because of these am- amazing two actors and their chemistry, but it just it, the characters are so great in the books. I say, look, even though they fight, and you know, it, it, trying to tease the audience who's not familiar with the material, that maybe they'll never get together. Or it's going to be a long time whatever that's not necessarily true but then Borsh, who is the golden dragon from you know beginning of time and he's right that 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 uh uh yennefer remain infertile this again is the is the yoda you must kill vader thing when he says to the two of them at the end i'm gonna tell you a truth because i'm this wise old dragon and it's never gonna work out between you two guys well, these two don't like being told what to do, and even though Yennefer is extremely resentful for many years and, and just confused and scared by the last wish and, and what exactly the last wish is and what it means, does she ever have free will again? Especially because it taps into her insecurities of uh, of her you know her power fantasies where she wants to become more and more powerful. She wants everything, and she, yet she still feels like she's not in control of herself or the world around her, and so it's playing into that phase 
fatalism and, and she's so quick to pick up on uh, what Boris says at the end about the last wish and Carol doesn't even have to explain it she figures it out um, um, but you had to have enough real sweetness between them where it could happen again one day because you know I'm hoping if you guys are watching this doing the commentary with me Right, she wants to kill the dragon. Um, you know, you must know that this is just the beginning of a long saga, and based on the fact that everyone loves it and is watching it, we're going to get to see the whole long saga, I think. Um, you know, these two are so clearly, you know, like one of the greatest fantasy epic love stories we have ever seen. Oh, this is a nice little juxtaposition of the of the the running and the uh, things getting menacing. Oh. I mean, up oh, here he is. Here's Kahir. So part of the reason Kahir, so Kahir is a very long, long name. That's and Kahir is the easiest part to pronounce of the long name that starts with Kahir. But the, the, uh, Peter Kenny, who reads the books, is, must be being told some of how it's pronounced in Polish. And I tried to look it up. And the way Peter Kenny pronounces his name in the book is like Kaida, like Kaida or something like that. And if I had just had that vocal cue from the beginning of the series that that's Kaida who joins them and actually becomes a good guy and, and sees himself as a savior of Siri and betrays the emperor of Nilfgaard twice and, you know, ends up wanting to help them, you know, I, I mean, deep into the series, um, Kaida or whatever his name is. Well, Kahir is the official pronunciation. Just a quick sound blip there. So I'm going to continue waiting on the Kahir story and and the Siri story because, you know, again, Siri through the woods, they have to string out all through Freya Allen's performance and and just the cool filming of Brooklyn Woods um, that, you know, it holds together and just the mystery of Siri and the charisma. Um, But this whole changeling thing is, you know, it isn't... I'm three times now going through the books. If this is a big part of, of it, then I'm really missing something. Kahir is definitely a big part. And, you know, he's going to sell the story later when Geralt has a chance to murder him down the road that he saved Siri, which is true. He did pull Siri away, and then Siri ran away. And he's serving Amir, Von Emmerich, the Emperor of Nilfgaard, who's Ciri's dad. Things are getting really complicated next season, guys, so catch up on your politics now. Um, But I'm also going to wait on the Kahir story because he doesn't truly become an interesting character that, that makes sense and is sympathetic and is cool, whether he's good or bad, until much later in the series. And this is the one character... Let's put it this way. They're already talking about Amir, uh, Emperor Amir of Nilfgaard, Blood of Elves, Time of Contempt, where I said the second book where stuff really goes um, to insanity. And when all these plots are revealed that nobody's aware of. 
even you know people involved in the plots aren't aren't often always aware of it um but anyways i'm thinking their nilfgaard is going to be a thing i mean you know we got all we got the english kings and the viking kings the french kings and vikings and you know all the shows game of thrones you have all the royalty blah 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 didn't really need it okay so here's the big change I mean, this is a, and because they just do it in such a funny, cute way where she just stops them from getting involved because she has a soft spot for the dwarves like Geralt, or she's a soft spot for Geralt, has a soft spot for the dwarves. They love each other. That's the thing about Yennefer and Geralt. They can say the meanest, nastiest things to each other and even do bad things, but you just know. You know that it's destined. Geralt knew. He didn't need a wish. He done fucked up. Here we go, guys. Here we go. There's a dragon. A beautiful, gorgeous, convincing, lovely, stunning CGI dragon that they teased our cocks for so many years, Game of Thrones. I gave up long before the dragons fully became dragons. And she's dying. So in the book, I don't know if Yennefer beats everyone to the cave. She definitely doesn't freeze the dwarves. Here are the, the Wakandans. She definitely doesn't freeze the dwarves. The dwarves are involved in the fight and then run away. Uh, but that was to show... I should just hate them. That was to show a little bit of empathetic foresight on, on Yennefer's part. It also, again, we have to keep those those particular dwarves and dwarves in general as our good guys going forward. As some of our possible good guys. He's dead. She's dead. Right, Yennefer's so out of touch with this stuff. Oh, the golden dragon. This looks so good. I mean, this. I think this is the best dragon we've ever seen. Smaug is so epic, but he's mostly just sitting there talking. I <laughs> like, girl. Oh, yeah, baby. And it doesn't have to be super ginormous. I mean, it's still very big, but it, it doesn't have to be, you know, Star Destroyer. This is great. It's just Boris talking without you know anything moving because that's not how dragons communicate. It's not possible. And this was you know that's the thing as romantic as all the kissy kissy and talk you know and sweet talk stuff is with Geralt and Yennefer. This is in terms of romantic and like the the, the more broad artistic version of ram- romantic art. This is the romantic part. They're they're in awe of nature. Yennefer has already given up her plan to kill these things takes a little longer in the book but this was the way to do it was have these two be the defenders right the knight who was taught to save dragons instead of kill him like he calls him a knight that's the thing the be- witchers are a for- uh, an unofficial form of knight yeah this is great so they always think they could take on Geralt and they get murdered this is a weird fight because you've got these Amazonian uh, Warriors, you got Geralt, right? Geralt should be able to take down all these guys by themselves. The dragon's not doing anything. Yennefer's using a little magic, and then she just gets mad. My interpretation of this is she wants to show Geralt that he, she can fight as well as him or better with these guys, but also, you know, just you know, turn. Oh, the Ard kiss. Oh, that's that's the moment of the series. That sums it up. That's the sums it up. A super powerful Ard that she helps magnify through the kiss. I mean, this is also romantic. It, it fantastically twisted. So, you know, 
We've seen Yennefer with portals. We've seen her with the genie. She could easily take all these guys down. Nope. Her and Geralt are going to fight back to back because it's fucking sexy and it's romantic. And la- they do this with Lagertha um, and, you know, Ragnar in the early seasons when they're still romantic. There's the look right there. Got each other's back. She's fighting with small, like, large daggers or, or small short swords. They wanted to prove Yennefer could fight. Not just cast spells, but it's at, it's out of fury. But it but the fury is not just being driven by oh these bad men. It's being driven by her internal demons. She was going to kill these creatures, and now she's having to kill these guys, even though she wanted what these guys wanted like two seconds ago. Geralt's not using spells still. They must be holding back on the the Witcher signs, or or, or they're just not going to accentuate them in the series which would be cool because we want the fucking mages be the ones to go totally nuts now i love this you know this guy is gonna get crushed by the dragon you have to wonder if the dragon is just waiting for him to come close so he can burn him up it's not going to happen he yeah he and he admits i don't know if he admits at the end of this oh this looks so good this is the best dragon stuff best dragon stuff certainly on tv I mean, you know, the, 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 um, you know, Valcor type dragons that you ride across great distances is what I grew up reading about and imagining. And this is great. Defending the man she loves, killing this horrible person, but it's in Yennefer's eyes that she's responsible and guilty as well, and she should be getting killed. And, and so all it takes is, the insinuation about the last wish, she puts it together, and all of a sudden, she can put all of her problems on someone else. And I'm not saying Geralt's not doing that, but Yennefer does it to an extreme, extreme degree. And nothing to do with her being a woman. It's just her character. She's so full of self-hatred, self-loathing, self-questioning. Do I control the chaos? Do I let it out? Do I ignore it? Dandelion missing the fight. It was, that's, how it, that's, how it, that's how it is. Although he gets more and more embroiled as it goes on, which is great. And which is also why it's great they didn't overexpose him and didn't overexpose Triss because I keep been saying from the beginning, guys, since months ago, keep your eyes on Dandelion interests, even though they're not the central three. When I miss. So the dwarves got done a favor. They sort of get away with it in the book by just being smart and turning tail and running. And then they're going to come up here, and this is a great little bit of double meaning, and they're going to look at the, the, the massacre, and they're going to go, oh, we missed all the fun. And at first you're thinking, oh, they missed the fun of just the whole battle and maybe trying to take down the dragon. But they, they set up very well that they specifically hate these guys. And, and what's great about the... <laughs> that fucking shite! I missed the whole mod, a lot of fun. Yeah. You wanted to kill? Is the guy going to be nice to dwarves? Yeah, this guy's really nice. Oh, he gives them dragon teeth. Ask no questions. Right. And this is also a great way of not making it a total coincidence that they would run into Yarpen down the road. Because right here, he's just a poor mercenary. But when we meet him with the caravan and he's helping Geralt and Ciri um, early next season, you know, he's got a, he's got a thing going, business going. He's still got a bad fucking temper. But him and Ciri really like each other because they're so blunt and honest. It's such a great relationship. And I can't wait for that. And so I'm totally on board with making Yarpen and the dwarves. It's so it's so key in this universe that they're generally good guys. Oh no, Siri! 
again, guys, again, if, if you don't know, I don't want to ruin what's coming, but just think about Siri on obstacle courses with swords, with all sorts of witchers around, t- telling her what to do. I'm Siri, and I'm going to be better than all of you witches. Now, the victimization never stops with Siri, and, and that's important. And, you know, Game of Thrones went way too far with victimizing its characters, but especially its female characters, um, you know, over long stretches of time, over seasons. Uh, but Siri gets victimized by more powerful people as she gets more powerful, and but then learns to fight back against it. Um, you know, again, with the Ray comparison... In, in in three two and a half hour movies of which she's only in you know a, a third of them or half of them you don't have time to build a character like Siri. Siri's already more I mean again with hindsight of knowing where Siri's going to a much you know uh, stronger and more developed you know woman young woman as opposed to just a girl and everything she goes through but anyways the point is you don't have time to tell a complicated story with ray it has to be done through subtle performance and daisy really did a great job but that's why they had to force a dark you know inclination with the ray and the emperor in the third movie because they're like they, they came to the same conclusion i did about ray i was saying i i need ray to go dark in some way not because i want it because it's the only way to comp with one more movie to complicate her i'm always good i, I bypass the compressor the han solo the smuggler and she had to go dark they just did it poorly Siri, Siri is, uh, is held back by not going dark, as I mentioned, which she should. Here we go. This is such a great moment. You, you think this is the, like the three good people, the powerful people, the old people, and they're going to have a moment here, and then everything's going to be fine. I can see why Geralt didn't want to lose you. He, he's specifically blowing up Geralt's spot. Look at him. And Geralt doesn't get mad. Geralt knows he's been hiding it from her, and that's what's eating him up inside. And Rend, that's all she needs to hear. The djinn. She puts it together, and now immediately, it's not about the bad things she did, but now everything's fake. Right, and so now she can't have children, she's empty there, she's spiritually empty, she's romantically empty. You made a wish. It's magic. How can we ever know? Yennefer, of anyone, you should know. And what's great is while they do actually resolve and, and undo the last wish in the video game many years later, they end up mostly being able to maintain some sort of a mature relationship down the road, despite them still dealing with this. Oh, oh he goes after with the baby. Fragile ego. ego. Right. So all of his insecurities are coming out. Abandon. Right. You abandoned me. And here's where the, here's where the true the the prophetic truths that are lies, okay? These are both lies. These are both lies. Ready? Source will never regain her womb. That's true, but she will have a child that you love it like a daughter, which is Siri. And though you don't want to lose her, Geralt, you will. That's also not true. He's gonna lose her now, and he's gonna lose her again in the future. But in the end, he's not gonna lose her. They have to sell. They have to sell these these you know mountainous 
passes of twisted turns and ups and downs and ins and outs of, of, of the, the romance with so little time and so little dialogue. You wanted to show me what I was missing? There she goes. But he's still not mad at the Dragon Lord because Bosch... Your legacy. Right, and this is the other part of the fake prophecy. He needed to get him his head out of his ass about Yennefer and get back to Siri. This is all, this is the thing. He's the prophet. He's the prophet. He just broke up those two people, hurt both of their feelings, made them hurt one another's feelings, but none of them are mad because they know that they're failing and they're not living up to their potential. And Yennefer gets to it. There it is. This is such a lie. This is his lowest moment. It's not fair. The child surprise, the gin. And those are all good things, Geralt. The child surprises Siri, who you're going to love and is going to reclaim your existence. And the gin led you to Yennefer. Dandelion has been with you for all the best parts of your life. This is how, how far gone he's gone. This was great to just break, to just break Yaskara's heart. This is the best way for him to go out. Because when he comes back at the beginning of next season and tells his tale in the Glade and they all talk about the, t- you know, all the different peoples talk about the legends of Yennefer and Ciri and Geralt and they argue about what's true and not and Dandelion still, you know, the mischievous womanizing bard, but he's so much more mature and gets the stakes. And like I said, Geralt already realized he fucked up. He's pushing everyone away. This is what he does. They're witchers. They're, they, they, you know, all, all three of these main characters are, are soloists in life in their own ways. What a powerful episode. My dad loved this episode, and he's not even a dragon guy, which just shows how just a po- poetic, beautiful, disturbing, meaningful, um, multi-layered Oh, Franchella. Is this is this actual Kahir? Oh, okay. Oh, so back to my other point. Okay, with Franchilla and Kahir and all the Nilfgaardians, and they're going to start talking about Amir, and they're going to start making the connection with Siri. There's almost no way we're not getting the Nilfgaardian court. We've already had four tests. We're going to get Redania. We're going to get Tamaria. It, we're going to start getting the houses, but I hope they don't do what they did in Vikings, which is like, even when the Vikings, like when the Vikings go to England in two and three, you know, you want those, you know, the kings and the lords and the knights and the battles and stuff. But then the Vikings leave, and they're still dealing with the English monarchy. And you're like, why am I caring? The show's called... uh, These actors are great, but the show's called Vikings. Um, But even though they're going to end up talking, I think, more about the politics in having scenes like this. She's the key. But you're the commissioner. Um yeah, they're they're putting this guy in the straight redemption track, which is which I think is what happens in the book. I won't ruin that. Parsec's I don't I keep forgetting Kahir's thing forward. Um, but you have to get the Emperor of Nilfgaard. I mean, he's like the classic, you know, he's like <laughs> Grand Admiral Thrawn. It's like you want to hate him, but he's so smart and and he's so he's not insane in that sort of way. He he's methodically uh He's a methodical, ruthless, heartless conqueror. Time of the sword of the axe is nigh. All right. Okay, so Charlotte Branstrom, who directed this, has is a Swedish. She's like a 
three or four European nationalities, directed like 30 films. She's been around forever. And the, the young woman who wrote it, whose name I just missed, thank you, Lauren Schmidt, uh, uh, who wrote it is like never written anything before they're just throwing all sorts of talent at this project it, it just keeps working but anyways my point is it, this can turn into game of thrones because the main characters are not royals you know they're witchers and sorceresses and siri and you know etc and dandelion um and those are remaining the main characters now we are going to spend more time with bad guys and I'm, we're seeing franchilla here the bad uh, mage the beautiful uh, black lady we just saw um, and the last scene there um, you know she's one of the, the I guess she's probably the, the sort of the strongest senior evil mage um, although in a cool scene of the meeting of the mages coming up in the next couple episodes she has a chance to join the good guys and then she tries to get good guys on their side yeah the brotherhood as they call them even though it's mostly women and the women are more powerful it's so interesting it's like the Bene Gesserit but you put it in a fantasy setting with, um, where it's the gender roles are much more complicated um, and uh, you know they're teasing all that as well and because they spent so much time dealing with the politics of the magicians i'm hopeful that we'll get the nilf guardian court and we'll get the crazy king of Redania and we'll get the you know the partisans fight you know fighting guerrilla soldiers in the woods in tamaria and you know valen turning into a swampy piece of shit and the vikings of scala we'll get all the different clans and the kingdoms but will be supplementary to the main good guys and bad guys character because that's what it's about and episodes like this and everything we've seen so far is indicating that that is the case so thank you for joining me i knew that was going to be a tough one to do it's just so beautiful to watch i was like having to force myself to like not watch it at parts um but the last two episodes um you know are just fireworks and and our characters going from their lowest points and to you know superhero mode um and maybe even using cheat codes. You know, they seem underpowered in this episode where Gerald and Yennefer are fighting by hand and they're not using magic and they're barely surviving. And then, you know, but that's, that, that's fantasy. And it's, it's, it's power comparisons like with the superheroes. It's uh, comparative powers and it's, uh, you know, um, when X-Men are angry, they're, they're, more, they're more powerful. Um, and I love that when Yennefer's angry, she doesn't use her magic. It just uses daggers and stabs guys at the throat instead. Oh, man. Everyone so good it's so clearly Anya Chalotra's show and that's how it's meant to be they all said it ahead of time and we're celebrating it and the fact that she's only 23 24 she's directing Yennefer remains you know the central lead with Siri and, and Geralt through, through the whole thing spoiler alert even with all the new characters coming in many of which you guys haven't even met yet so I'm gonna shut up uh join me for episode seven and eight and uh I'm just so over the moon you know this <laughs> I've said I've, I've made two truly great predictions on the Bizzlecast one was in the very beginning in 2015 when I saw Elizabeth Olsen in Age of Ultron not even realizing she was an Olsen sister after one of Ultron, I'm like, okay, she's a star. She's going to be one of the leaders of Marvels. She's like, like this spectacular actress. Like I did whole podcast about how amazing Elizabeth Olsen is, and goddamn was I right about that. And I'm happy for her, mostly happy for us. The other one was that this Witcher was going to actually have a shot. Maybe not after just one season, but after a few uh, or the run of uh, oh, actually overtaking Game of Thrones because it's a show that in the ends, uh, you know, you can debate whether it's more or less artsy or whatever. Uh, uh, but what you can't debate is as way more of a horror and has good guys that we're rooting for. Even as we see in this last episode, they do terrible things like drive each other away, even though they love each other, and then drive poor Yaskier away, who's just trying to be his buddy and you know have a sense of humor about things. 
Um, but he'll be back. He'll be back. Not this season, but great work, Joey Batsy. Um, and we finally start getting the convergence of the timelines and the three main characters, uh, the Battle of Sodden Hell. Terry coming out of the forest and Geralt trying not to die in the next couple episodes. So join for some great medieval warfare, but some amazing magic, diverse, cool, unique magic. Trist with the nature stuff. Ugh, I can't wait. Thank you guys so much. See you for episode seven. But for now, the bizzle is out.